As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Osama Dorius, currently the lead content designer at Blizzard Entertainment. So join us as we explore his journey, live from the PAX Australia show floor, just a couple of weeks ago, a massive shout out to the incredible folk at Audio Technica who hosted us on the show floor to make this happen. Go check out their wares. They do some incredible stuff. And please enjoy this new episode. So today I'm joined by Osama. How are you? I'm doing great. A little jet lagged and I'm losing my voice, but otherwise I'm fantastic. Well, that's all right. We've got the amazing team here at Audio Technica that we're recording with live from PAX who are going to help offset that uh, <laughs> that voice that's starting to fade on you. They might just crank it right up any second here. Just to <laughs> Looking forward to um, it. So how has your time been so far? It's, it's I guess, weird for us locals because it's really the first time ever. That you've had some opportunities, as you were saying to me beforehand, with Gamescom. And, yes, this is and my um, third big conference that I've had this year with GCAP and Melbourne's Games Week. But like I was invited for GCAP, that's why yeah. I led with that. Uh, Melbourne's Game Week is one of my favorite events of the year. Uh, this is my second time that I come. Uh, I came in 2019. Uh, it has a special place in my heart. Every time they invite me, I will come. Uh, I Good to see PAX 2023 as well. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Um, I, uh, Melbourne specifically is one of my favorite cities in the world. What is it about Melbourne? Lots of things. Uh, first of all, I'm usually a tea drinker. Yep. Uh, unless I'm here, then I'm a coffee drinker. <laughs> the coffee here is next level. Top tea, right? Yes. Um, and I'm from Montreal, Canada. Montreal yep. is a foodie city. And Melbourne is also a foodie city, but it's a different kind, different flavors of food. So uh, I've had things here that I've never had in my life. Like? All right, just a, was it yesterday or the day before? Like I said, it's a beautiful blur. Uh, I had kangaroo for the first time. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw a tweet about is it halal? Yes. I think it was like a Google search you put out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found out that, yes, in fact, it is halal. So, uh, you know, I, part, uh, I took some of that. There's also crocodile. Never yep. had it before. That was really good. Uh, I haven't like, even gone there yet. Tastes like chicken. Yeah. And um, emu. Yeah, okay. Which was surprising because it's a bird and yet it's red meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a strange pairing, that one. Yes, yeah. it was my favorite of the three. Okay, good. Yeah, Emu is really good. I would definitely have it again. Uh, all of them were, were, were good, but, you know, like, uh, kangaroo tastes a, a lot more like lamb than I expected. Yep. Yeah, I'm a big fan of lamb, but it was just like, if I closed my eyes, I would have probably thought it was lamb. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, like, that that's what I mean. It has amazing food, but it's just a different kind different of food. Palette, yeah. yeah. Uh, you have a lot more, like, Indo Indonesian and Malaysian cuisine yes. here. And in Montreal, we don't because of, you know, how... Proximity, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, whenever I have a chance, I'll eat that. Um, really loved it. Uh, and the third thing, which is probably what I should have led with, the alleyways here. Oh, it, yeah, the laneway life. Oh, my God. something else, isn't it? I've never seen anything like it before. It's like you pop in and you're like, okay, this is just an alleyway. And back in Mon and Montreal, is a beautiful city, but you pop into an alleyway and you're just seeing dumpsters. And here, there's like a 50% chance of seeing a pop-up coffee shop, an art installation, a and show. Dumpsters. 
at the same time maybe some dumpsters as well oh, yeah yeah sometimes but even the dumpsters are like graffiti really yeah. nice art <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a lot of effort that's gone into it melbourne itself has really been leaning into it like on a governmental sort of level as well yes so. i think it's a smart choice so one of my favorite things to do here and i've been doing it the the, the last this trip and the last trip is i just walk around the cbd yeah. like popping into different alleyways and you know see how it's changed yeah there's it's, a lot that's gone on in the last few years it's so. excellent world building right <laughs> we've just gone full circle on video games then. you got it <laughs> so this is dev diaries is where we talk to developers from throughout the throughout the globe they they share their stories their experiences and the journey that's led to this current point in time now we've obviously just been talking about your time here for, for gcap and at the very beginning of pax we are at the very very beginning of day one up here at pax as we chat has there been anything that you are keen to go and have a look at on the indie side? There's a lot of indies here taking center stage. So that's that's a funny story is I'm very keen on looking at things that I haven't seen before. So that's yep. a hard question to answer. Uh, I've already played the games I've wanted to play, you know, the big games like the Cult of the Lambs and the Unpackings. I've, I've played them, I finished them, they're great games. I want to see what else is out there that hasn't... That next know, generation. Yes, that hasn't reached yet, either because they're not finished or they're finished, but they're small in marketing budgets. That's what I'm looking forward to explore. Um, that's my favorite thing to do at any event like this, is just to it's go, awesome. yeah, meet the little guy and shake their hand. Yeah, and, and I'm sure there's, there's lots they can learn from you and you from them. So it'll be, it'll be an awesome experience, I'm sure. Thank you. So we've got all that to come, I guess. But now let's let's cycle into you and this career that you've been on so far, and I guess more specifically how we even got to that point. Do you recall what some of your first gaming experiences were? Where, when did you find games? What were some of the first games that you played? So I remember the first game I ever played. It was called Combat on Atari. Yep. And it was a tank game where bullets ricochet off walls. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was three or maybe four years old. I couldn't even play it properly, but I, I was fascinated by the idea that I could press buttons on the thing and the thing on the TV moves accordingly like the interactivity of it was incredible I couldn't put it down even though I wasn't really playing properly I was too young to play you would have only had passive experiences up to that point yes exactly um, and that stuck with me and you know how did my parents to get me consoles ever since and eventually got all of them where did you start? What was the first one they knuckled under and got you? So I asked for a Nintendo Entertainment System and I got a Sega Master System. Because <laughs> it was a little bit cheaper. I no regrets. Up. I love the Sega There's Master System. There's plenty of positives there. Yeah, and I ended up getting a Nintendo Entertainment System a couple of years later. Yeah, great. A, a little behind the, the time, but not... Plenty of time to deal. catch up. The, exactly. The release cadence isn't the same as what we're looking at these days when Ex it comes to games. So plenty of time to catch up. Exactly. And my, my family is a family of gamers. Like all my brothers and sisters have played when they were younger. Yep. Some of them still play now. Um, and uh, because of that, we've had nearly every big console ever. Awesome. Um, it's a I nice luxury. I could count the ones that we don't have on one hand, that, that we never got. Like what, one, one such example? So uh, we never got a Sega Saturn. Yep, right. Uh, we had a PlayStation. All the games I wanted to play on the Saturn were already on PlayStation. I couldn't justify it. We never had an Xbox One. I'm a huge fan of a Series X. But like none just of the missed that one along the way. Yeah, it just none of the exclusives really appealed to me that much. I had yeah, a PC, and most of them came on PC if, if I didn't get them on the console, so I was okay with that. Um, what else? I, I had everything else. I had a Wii U, you know. <laughs> That's yeah. It was one of my Wii. I loved it. It's got a really, really good library. I know there yes. was lots of problems with the platform itself, yeah. but it's a really, really good library. Yeah. So those, some of those Nintendo exclusives are fantastic, and unsurprising, they all migrated across to the Switch. Yeah, absolutely. Almost all of them. And of course, I have two switches at home. But yes. One's not enough. And I got a Steam Deck recently, which I'm counting as a console. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've only just went on a hands-on with that for the first time today because they're, they're not actually out here in Australia oh, yet. No. So, so it was uh, Tempopo, so before from from Witchbeep. So I guess you mentioned unpacking yes. earlier on that 
they're demoing the game and they had a Steam Deck there to try it out. I'm like, oh, please, I want to try your game and please let me try out the Steam Deck at the same time. So that was a nice experience as well. Uh, how did your taste evolve as you grew up? So as you got more exposure and you obviously had access to a lot of different consoles, as you say, how did those tastes evolve? Were there any particular genres, franchises, any particular games that really stick out from that period as you were growing up? Yes, well, my, my favorite games of all time probably are from the Super Nintendo era. That's, you know, I was 13, 14 years old at the yep. time, and that's a very impressionable age. A lot of my favorite music still is music I listened to at that time, and I think that's more or less normal. Um, and uh, so my favorite games are like Super Metroid, you know, Le Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, uh, Super Mario World. We've got a lot in common there then. Yeah, there you go. Th like Final Fantasy three or six, six depending on yeah. Yeah, where you are. Six is the more accurate one. Uh, those are like still some of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. When people ask me what are your favorite games, I have to split them into multiple categories. The childhood, the uh, early childhood before, sorry, early adulthood before I became a game dev and then the post game dev because there's very different mind frames on how yeah, I look the, at the things. lens that you look at these games through and I think even some of those older ones you can't really go back to them now no. and be able to separate that there's, there's an intangible thing absolutely there, so. absolutely some some aged well most didn't but they're still amazing they're still amazing yeah, right. exactly. yeah. there's just that layer that goes across the top of them when you think about them that's right and um, I've always been a creative even when I was really young so uh, I've always made games, even when I was a, a child. Mostly board games and card games, because yeah. I got access to a computer pretty late. You know, I'm not that young, <laughs> so I only I had my first computer when I was like 14 or 15. So before that, I'd make games, I'd draw comic books, I you know do whatever like, creative things that I could do. Uh, so I had my hands dirty in that, but it yeah. wasn't uh, until much later that I started making video games. And I started making video games by first making maps for the games that already existed and mods for those, like um, Heroes of Might and Magic, StarCraft, Unreal yeah. Tournament, awesome. yeah, all of those. Uh, and I still have a lot of those, even though I have no way of like playing them or running them. I just have the like the raw files and yeah, some the, screenshots. <laughs> the most I ever had was like pen and paper maps that I'd kind of created for, for Zelda dungeons or whatever, and I never progressed past that point. So That's fine. It was always good fun, though. Yeah, as and long as you're enjoying yourself. Exactly. So, was there a game or a collection of experiences even that maybe was a, an important moment in you choosing to pursue game development itself? Because there's uh, obviously such a big difference between pure consumption yes. and uh, the getting hands-on. Actually, uh, my story, when it comes to that, choosing it, had nothing really to do with a game that clicked. It was um, a person. So, yep. <laughs> I studied political science in university. Uh, without really the intention of working in political science. And that's a long story in and of itself that I won't go into unless you really, really want to hear it. Uh, important thing is, after university, I was doing different kinds of jobs that were not politics related um, and never considered making uh, games. Were they some of those freelance graphic design yes, jobs? Yep. Yes, I did. I did freelance graphic design. I was a shipping agent at one point. I even picked up a whole bunch of call center jobs in between, whatever I had to do. To, to, to get the money coming in, right? Exactly. And the freelance and graphic design um, helped, gave me like, you know, JavaScript and act, like Photoshop experience yep. and Flash. So I started making games just for fun. And even then I didn't consider that I could have a career as, as a game maker. All that changed when a friend of mine who studied history and a little bit of political science at university, we met at, like studying political yep. science, he got a job as a game designer. And out of nowhere? Like, did that seem out of nowhere to you? Out of nowhere to me. Absolutely out of nowhere to me. Because we played a lot of games together, and we do the same thing where, you know, we, we made board games and card games together, that kind of thing. But he never talked about his desire to pursue game, yes. game design. Um, and we're both Arab background, so we're both, you know, Middle Eastern. Um, 
and to him it was just an opportunity that presented himself he wasn't Fell seeking it yeah but when he got that opportunity all of a sudden i was able to project myself in that career yeah that's actually like it happens i speak to a lot of different people from marginalized backgrounds uh and that's a common story where you find if they don't see someone like them represented in a medium in a profession it's they hard can't see themselves they can't see it. themselves ever doing it so even though at that point i had made between games and mods and and maps over a hundred samples yeah right okay i still never considered it as a career until i saw someone like me get the job and that's when that i started sense. working on a portfolio and uh he was my first mentor in the industry before he even had a year of experience. So where was he working at that point? So he was working at a mobile company called Gameloft. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And he left it before I joined the industry. And coincidentally, my first job in the industry was also Gameloft. at yeah. Gameloft. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah, as I look at that, that was uh, 2007 to about 2014. And you yes. worked at a whole host of different roles. Yes. Just, just even from what I've got listed here, and I'm sure there's more as well. We've got narrative design, we've got quest design, AI, level, mission, camera, You are like there's heaps and heaps and heaps. Yes. I, I could, I've got more listed, I won't. So the more the reason for that specifically is because when I started working at Gameloft, we were a mobile developer before there were smartphones. Yes. So the you know the old flip phones, yeah, like old Nokia, Kyocera flip phones, um, and the teams are tiny. So at most, there were two designers on a project. Which means you take on so many different responsibilities. Exactly. And as Gameloft grew, we started working, like when, you know, the mobile, like pre-smartphone, yeah. the market was dropping. So they're like, okay, we're going to diversify. We're going to try different things. We started working on Wii games. We started working on um, 3DS games and yep. different things like that. Uh, the teams got bigger, obviously. And there was a need for specialization. And because I was a, one of the people who was there from the beginning, like yeah. earlier on, I had a lot of specializations that other people didn't. Oh, you need a camera guy? Well, I did a camera. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. You, you need UI? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that now. So I re-specialized multiple times. I think the longest stint I had as the same specialization was on the Dungeon Hunter series, where I joined them initially as a, as a just, you know, a game designer, and I focused on narrative design, and I did narrative design on Dungeon Hunter 3, 4, and 5, and a little bit of 6. Uh, I left before 6, you know, was actually in full production, but I helped a little bit with the story at the beginning. Uh, that was about three years of, uh, out of the seven years I was at Gameloft that was doing narrative, narrative. design. That was the biggest chunk. Otherwise, I was just jumping from one thing discipline, to the next. Discipline, yeah. Exactly. Which and, and genre to genre. Like, I worked yeah, on... Yeah, lots like, of very different sort of games. Yeah. Bar, uh, I worked on bar games. I worked on racing games, shooting games, uh, platformers. Like, name it. Name it. I, I, like, I touched you did it. it. Yeah. Do you have any particular favorites from that, peri uh, from that period of time? Uh, that's a very hard question. My favorite yeah, is sorry, whatever. The, fa I, the favorite child things never. never it's fun. it's like my favorite was whatever I was working on at that time. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, because I, I I need to love a thing so I could do my best work. So I learned to love a thing. Like uh, famously, or uh, I became a poker expert when I worked on a poker game. I used to play casually with friends here and there, but I next like, level understanding after that. Yes, I bought four or five poker books. Didn't sleep for days. Just read, underlined, highlighted, and became a poker expert. It actually improved my game. So if I ever see you counting cards, <laughs> we know why, right? Like, the honest truth is, it's so far removed, and I got a little burnt out from poker, so I haven't I barely played in the last whatever year. So I have no idea if I'm still good or, or, or bad at lost it. it. Yeah, but at one point, I was able to do that. I was able to tell you what are the probabilities of getting this, what are the chances of you have that, because of like you did a continuous play on the second turn or what, what have you, and because of this, you probably have a king and queen in your hand. If you knew the odds, I was more likely to be right. If you didn't, then I was more likely to be wrong because a lot of people just, yeah. you know. Yeah, everyone else is kind of flying by the seat of their pants. For one of them. Exactly. But all, all that was, I was able to predict pretty accurately what other people had if they knew how, how to play. 
uh, I, I mostly think I could retain some of it, but not all of it. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit you've got to lose along the way. Exactly. Uh, that's that's a next level understanding, and yeah, remind me to never play you in a game of poker. Okay? <laughs> I did the same in pool, by the way. I also worked on Midnight Pool for the Nintendo Wii. Okay, so uh, how, how's that one work in terms of? Uh, I mean, obviously you understand how the game of pool works. Yes. But no, but I I can't like for the longest time after shipping that game, I couldn't play pool because I, I played it, it so much. Yeah, it, like and, and I eased back into it, and I'm terrible. <laughs> You need to practice. You but need in, to keep but those in that peak up. period, what you were hitting all sorts of crazy shots. And... More like I knew not to take them. <laughs> right. Okay. Play it safe. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's fair. Um, and so moving on from from Gameloft, there the next the next step as I di- go diving through your LinkedIn to get all the details I needed uh, <laughs> is a Global Eagle Entertainment, and yes. you're a lead game designer there. Yes. Well, I mean that was a that was a shorter tenure, but what what was that like? That uh, it's going to surprise people to hear that that was actually my favorite job in, oh, my, in, in the industry. Um, what was it about it? So, uh, first, let's talk about what it is. Uh, I was making airplane games, and I don't mean flight simulators. We were making the games you play on the airplanes. Yes. Um, and what I absolutely loved about it is Game Off was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I wanted to work on small games again. I loved small games. The more intimate sort of yes. feel. Yes. More... Exactly. You're closer to the team. You, you get to work with a lot more people. So what ended up happening is um, when I was there, I was the lead of multiple pro- uh, small projects at a time. But we worked on like big franchises too. Like I shipped an Angry Birds. Yep. I shipped like some Nintendo. Uh, some uh, sorry, I said Nintendo, but I meant uh, Disney games. Uh, I, I shipped uh, like a Mickey Mouse game, uh, a Monsters Inc., what have you. So we had that, and then we had our own in-house games. What I absolutely loved about it is I was in charge of like my own game. I always kept one game for myself where I did the design, Your but I was also project. the lead of other projects, just overseeing and like mentoring the the, the other designers on it. Uh, so the variety, like my love to do a million different things, you know. Was that being really challenged though? Because yes. of the nature of so many of these? Yes, but in a good way. Yeah. I loved it. And the work-life balance there was unmatched. I did not do an hour of overtime the entire time I was oh, fantastic. there. fantastic. Yeah, because it was very different. It wasn't, I, it wasn't a video game company. It yes, was an you're not crunching towards a deadline. You're for, not. I mean, I guess there's always a financial component to things. Yes. But yeah, different sort of intentions. Yes, and it wasn't a video game company. It was an a, a, a entertainment company that also made video games. So that it wasn't structured the same way. Um, we had a mandate of releasing 12 games a year as the entire team. So we scheduled for that. We made some games that were small and, and like with less risk. Some games that were a little bit bigger with more risk. And we planned for 13 games a year. Yep. So that, you know, Baker's dozen. So if, if one doesn't work out, you're fine. Both years I was there, we shipped 13 games each. Very nice. Because we were just able to. Overachieving. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was super happy because when you, you set someone up like that, yep. they're able to do better work. So there's a lot of, oh, we won't make the feature, so we have a choice. Do we delay this game a, a week and get that feature? Or do we just forget the feature? And that was like, these are normal conversations to have. And when a game is ready, when it's finished, there's no, we shipped it, launch party, everyone's exi- uh, exhausted, let's take a break. It was move on to the next one and it goes into next year's category. So the pressure was, was uh, reduced, yeah. yeah. And so we just enjoyed the process of making the games. It was like getting paid to do very relaxed game jams over and over. That's, yeah. that's quite cool. It was amazing. And I would have stayed with it for a long time, but unfortunately, the way that the, the the that market worked out is that we had the lion's share of the market. We had 97% of the lion's share, and you know the market was shrinking. People were bringing their own phones and doing their yeah, own thing, okay. which makes perfect sense, of course. But also, I didn't project a long future there, uh, and so I, I I decided I was going to try something else. And that takes you to Ubisoft. Yes. So 
I believe, if I've got all my credits and everything right, For Honor was a game that you worked on in that that's time. That's right, that's right. What was that like? Can it was because obviously the nature of the, the working experience is very, very different. Very different. So what, one thing was they didn't know where to place me. Uh, I'll actually rewind a little bit. So when I, I went to Ubisoft, the, the main reason I wanted to go to Ubisoft is because I want a AAA experience. The main reason I wanted to get AAA experience is because up until then, I worked on smaller games. The scale was very yes. different. And like I thought if I worked on one big game, then I had the whole gamut. I've worked on five people teams, and now I'm going to be working on 500 people teams, and I'll be, ha I'll be able to have more choices. You've got your own... You, that, those experiences, that combination of those, those experiences really helps you make an informed decision for anything else in the future. Exactly. Uh, I wasn't ready for the challenges that, that, comes, that comes with that. Uh, the first is they didn't know where to place me. They looked at me and they said, we have all these game design positions open, and you've done them all. We don't know which one you're better at, how like because in big companies they hire specialists yes and i was not a specialist a i was generalist. a generalist exactly i knew a little bit of everything so you didn't know what to do so they're like okay we're just gonna place you on whatever we need we have more need so i've done quest design before and they were like okay we have a mission designer role it's practically the same thing i'm like yeah sign me up i love mission design and quest design so i went through that and i i uh, did some mission design for the single player component of for honor and they kept noticing that I keep commenting on the game design. You know, this, this, because like I'm a generalist, so I can't help it. Again. So I, I basically, I shifted over to a game mode design. And I started working on the co-op mode of, of uh, For Honor. Uh, so actually the missions that I started that I got to almost the end, I handed them off to someone else. I actually never completed them. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I got them to like 75, 80% of the way, and then I jumped onto the co-op mode. Off. Exactly, and I started working on co-op missions instead, and co-op, like the rules of the co-op, which was, better for me because I like to touch more things and that gave me more access to touching more things. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've obviously listed a whole bunch of other roles you've worked previously. Yeah. What else did you get to engage with in that time or was that, were those no, that was, pretty much the two? That was pretty much the two and this is how, like already that was more than most people can yeah, do. Like, yeah, most people it, keep to their one lane. Exactly. So it was already a lot for them and but I was able to like, you know, influence you know, talk to other people on the team and like tell them my feel. Like, I, I don't need credit for things. I yes. just, I just like to. You just want to help make a better product. Exactly. Yeah, regardless of how the, yeah. yeah, and you'd be surprised. A lot of people are like that. I wasn't unique in that. Uh, a lot of people who are specialists will still like they care about the product, so they'll. Yeah, go they want to pop their two cents in with. You got with it. This other discipline as well. Exactly. And if that team chooses to use that that feedback, great. And if they don't think it's relevant, so be it. That's exactly right. You speak and your mind, and that's I guess part of the process of being a team. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And so you, you look back fondly on, on the time? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it was a very good experience. It was bigger, like uh, there was a, a fair bit of whiplash and I needed to um, adjust. Uh, Again, because of that scale? Yes, because of the scale. I, I really, I like I, I wasn't used to the process of uh, approvals. I'm used to saying, yes. oh, I have an idea. I, it's and halfway done now. And do you want to see my halfway done idea? Not let's go through the, all of the approval process to make sure that you're not wasting your time doing it. Yep. Like, so that took an adjustment period. Once I got over it, I understood the reasons why. But there was a little bit of back and forth before I got there. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have a period there where you thought, no, this is this this process to ensure that I'm not wasting my time is in fact wasting, wasting my, my time. time. That's exactly right. But then when you see other things get cancelled because it didn't work out for whatever reason, because you can't work in isolation when you're yeah. in a team that big. It just doesn't work. Everything has to fit. Like uh, my, my friend Tanya Short, she has her own studio called yes. Kickbox. She has a really good analogy for this. Uh, what she's saying is when you're making a game, especially on a bigger scale, everyone is working on a single flake as if you're working on oatmeal. Everyone's working yep. on an individual flake. But you need one person who's seeing the entire bowl to see if it fits in together. Yeah, okay. So like, and that 
is why the approval process is so crucial. When you're five people, there's less of a need of that. When you're 500... Everyone's in touch. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah. You're seeing the effects right away. When you're 500 people, some pro, like some features, they don't go in until they've been worked on Probably for months. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I, I definitely understood that, but it was it was the, the, the biggest pain point for yeah, me. Yeah, you had to learn that. The hard way. Yeah. <laughs> and so from there, so the 10-year, the if I've got that right, about a year or so, yeah. give or take? Exactly. Uh, it was. I joined a year before the game shipped, so basically I made it to the end to, of that. To launch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Minority media yes. after that, and Time Machine VR and The Other Room. Yes. How is, and I guess at this point we've, we've spoken about a lot of different sorts of games that you've made, big, small... But not VR up to this point. What was that like? So I didn't actually have a specific pa a passion for VR. I just like trying different things. That's yeah. the truth. And I had, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, sorry, jet lag is kicking no, in. That's fine. When you feel nauseous because of a thing. Uh, oh, like, like the, the, the imposter syndrome. Those. No, 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 um, no, no. Actual nausea. Oh, just genuine. Oh, yeah, playing okay, right. VR games, I didn't oh, feel well. Oh, yeah, okay, of course. Um, so I'm sorry. The, the the very simple term escapes me, but you That's get right. the idea. So wh when I was interviewing, I'm like, look, I'd love to join. I don't think you want me because I can't be in a VR headset for more than like 20 minutes. That's already like, that's my upper, upper that's your limit. limit. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, oh, don't worry, you'll develop VR legs. I'm like, uh, okay, let's did give you? it a shot. I did. You did? Uh, surprisingly, uh, after about three weeks of exclusively playing VR games and feeling incredibly ill, uh, slowly, slowly felt less and less ill. The only thing that never went away is that I could not... If I was playing a game that was either underwater or in space, I couldn't breathe. Yeah, right, okay. I would, like, gasp for air and, and You'd feel... You'd actually get paralyzed yes, by the thing. and feel silly... Because I'm like, and then breathe for like a few seconds. But once, as soon as I Im immerse myself back in the game, I'd hold my breath again and then gasp for air. And that lasted forever. I could not get over Can't that. Can't shake it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm underwater or I'm in space. Sometimes the space thing didn't even make sense. Like I could visibly see the astronaut like, you know. With the helmet over the, the helmet. top and that's what allows you to breathe. Yes. And I still wouldn't breathe. It's just, I'm in space. I, I can't breathe here. I, I still remember my first VR experience was the, the PlayStation VR Worlds. Yes. The, and the, the, the Shark Tank demo. I can't remember the exact name, but the one where you went down into the bottom of the ocean. Yes. And I did have the same thing for quite a while. And I, I would pop the headset on others and get them to have a go and... Sometimes I'd pop it back on to kind of show them through if they were a bit anxious because maybe I was trying to tra uh, trick them with the shark bit. Um, and I would do the same thing. I will continue to hold my breath and it was inexplicable, but I, I kept doing it. And I've, I've shaken it since. Yes, but I have not. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Ah, well, I don't even need to get there. It's fine. I'll gasp a few times. What's the big deal? It's not like I'm going to drown. It adds to the immersion, right? <laughs> it does. It does. Absolutely. And so um, that, that experience, that time, again, about another year or so. Yes. But I guess in parallel to this at this particular point was also Magic Pants yes. a studio that you'd co-founded yes what was that like trying to I guess you're already spinning a lot of different plates within these various different uh, organisations or businesses and yes. various different scales there but then you're also trying to spin this independent one at the same time how is all that going so uh, actually if, if it's okay with you I'll talk about all the layers in one yeah. shot just so people get an under yep. understanding uh, I am a recovering workaholic and I don't say that in a good way I wish I wasn't it was it's it's a problem. It's a problem that I tried to fix and, and failed to. I take on a lot. Sorry, I think it's still something that I struggle with myself. So yes, I can relate. It's still it's still a problem, but I'm still working on it. Um, I I came into the industry when I started working at GameLoft. The first thought I had when I was like I could be a game designer was I want to make my own games because I was making my own games in Flash. They were bad, but like I wanted to do that, but yeah. learn how to do them well. So my original plan was incredibly naive. I wanted to work at GameLoft for a year, learn everything there is to know about making games, and then start my own studio. 
that was the goal. Yeah. While working at Game Loft for two weeks, I realized that was naive. Like, you don't know what you don't know. You've bitten off too much. Ex yeah. Exactly. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to need more time to do this properly. Um, so when I was ready, I was still at Game Loft. And the reason I love Game Loft is because uh, they have a, a non-compete. You can't work on your oh, own yeah, project. Yeah, the non-compete. Yeah. So uh, that was actually the reason I went to GE. They did not have a non-compete because they were not a video game company. As long right. as uh, yeah, okay. their non-compete is extended only to airplane games specifically, that was the only... Yeah, don't enter our space, but otherwise yes. go for your life. Otherwise, don't matter. So I actually worked on my project you know, for Magic Pants. I started it when I was at uh, GE. Like, that's when I started, like, okay, I'm going to do both. And because of the work-life balance that they gave me, not an hour of overtime, I was able to dedicate a lot of time to it. So that was my goal. My goal was to be to go indie eventually. Yeah. Uh, you know, spoiler alert. Fifteen years later, I'm still not indie. I didn't yeah. do that. <laughs> but I still went through the process. I worked on Heroes Never Lose. I formed a small team. We did a Kickstarter. It was successful. The game is on Steam. You can download it. Yeah, people play get it now. it now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Super happy that I went through that. Uh, when I went to Ubisoft again, the goal was work on a AAA game, get that pedigree, get that experience, transfer. Yeah, move it to like so. You, so it opens up doors. If I want to like fund, find funding for an indie studio, it's easier if you have Ubisoft on your, you know, type. on your CV. Exactly. Yeah. Then going to minority was go back to something indie, see how they operate from the inside, learn about the inner workings of an indie space, um, and that's when I was kind of disillusioned with it. I'm like, I'm doing too much. Because another layer on top of that is while doing all of this, I was teaching, teaching. at Dawson College. I was a coordinator of the video game programs at Dawson, and then another layer on top of that, I was an event planner. I, I, me and my partner yeah, co-founding the Montreal Independent Games exactly right. yeah. so when I say I'm a recovering workaholic I did way too much like yeah. way 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 too much how so, much sleep were you getting because I, I mean I consider myself a bit of a workaholic but I can't actually envisage where there is time for rest in yes. this 24 hour day so, so before I answer that question I have to say that this is not a, a, a thing that I'm I'm We're not celebrating it. Not yeah. celebrating. This is actually a thing I'm learning not to yeah. do, and it's very hard. So do not do this. I was sleeping three to four hours a night, and uh, every two weeks I would crash. I would like sleep for 15, 16 hours straight, and then I was fine, or I thought I was yeah, you fine, you were, but yeah. because I could repeat that cycle. But I've had three burnouts in my career because of this. Because I can't say no. Every opportunity is an exciting one. I just jump. You want to jump at it? Exactly. And I've jumped on many. Um, so I've had a lot of success, and I'm glad to that, but I've had a lot of failures too. And most of the failures stem from... I over Trying to do too much. Exactly. I, I just tried to do a thing, didn't have the energy for it. Like, Heroes of Lose, I had a successful Kickstarter. The game was was selling, and I was like, I don't have the energy to do the I thing. I can't follow up on it. Yeah. I can't. I can't, like, I can't do the next step. I can't, like, I wanted to release it on, on at the time Wii U eventually switched. I didn't have the energy. So is this, like, I guess you were talking about these three distinct burnouts. Is that kind of how it was? Like, you almost just... You just stop functioning. You just yes. can't work out what to do next. You're exactly. Paralyzed. You get. You just cannot wake up in the morning. Yeah. And then you recover. It takes you a couple of months. Each burnout takes longer to recover than the one before. It's actually worse than the one before. When would you say the last time was that you kind of had one of these? Last experiences? year. Yeah. Okay. So my title now is not a game designer title. I, I've been working as a game designer in the industry for 14 years, but the last nine months, uh, I was uh, my title was and senior uni. partner relation manager. Yes. The specific reason I did that is because my last burnout, it took away the joy of game design. Yes. I could not enjoy it. Uh, I was so burnt out from it, just the thought of, of designing scared me. And that is terrifying. As someone who identifies as a game designer, that was the most terrifying if thing If you're not ever. feeling it, yes. that's a worry. Yes, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't bring myself to do the thing that was my career that I identified as. 
And so uh, the pivot to Unity was, um, you know what? I can still people. I can still talk to people. That that part I could yeah, do. Connect, assist, share experience. Exactly. Work so together. what job can I do within the industry that lets me do that? So senior partner relations managers, I help other people make their games. And that part of me wasn't broken. That part of me I could still do. But the effect of removing, like that's, there's a healing that happens when you remove yourself from whatever burnt you yes. out. Uh, and that kicked in a few months later. And then the desire to make games came the flooding back. back. Yeah. Um, as we're recording this, um, uh, my last week at UD was last week. Yes. And my and next week on Monday is going to be my return to game design at a, at a studio. We haven't disclosed who that is yet, have I, we? I cannot. No, that's fine. I'll worry about the pressure on. <laughs> at least. So, but I, I will be announcing it on Monday. Fantastic. Um, Looking forward to it. Thank you. I'm excited about it, but also... By now, everyone listening will know the answer. I, Weird oh. times, a flat circle, and all those sorts of things. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so time travel. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they will know at that point. We still uh, won't do it because we believe there's some people listening live right now. We don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to create a problem. Exactly. Uh, ho- however, I'm going to be landing from Australia on Sunday afternoon. Straight into it. Straight into it. Monday morning, jet lagged as hell. You know, doing game design for the first time in nine months. It's going to be fun. So, I guess. We did kind of skip that chapter that led to some of the burnout, and it's a game that uh, I guess is a lot on a lot of people's radars. Yeah. I just mentioned, obviously, the the kind of the vacuum of time that we're recording this in. Yes. When this goes live, that game that you were working on is out the next day. Wow. Okay. Um, so I, I was working on Gotham, Gotham Knights, Knights at, yeah. at Warner Brothers. Uh, the the thing that led to my burnout wasn't you know just that it was there was a lot of things going on. I, I if I, if I'm free to talk about yeah, that. Please, yeah, please. No, no. Go go for it. So, um, but. In the end of 2019, or the middle of 2019, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, her odds were not great, uh, and because of that, I which takes I, a toll. It takes a huge toll um, for many, many reasons. But right now, I'll focus on uh, like I know selfishly, I'll focus on myself because that's the no, story no, no, I'm telling. But of course, stories about you. Yeah, so please. It took a huge toll on my family, extended family, on my brothers and sisters. Everybody had to like chip in and do what they yeah. could. Uh, I was physically in the same city as her, so my responsibilities were, were a little higher. bit greater. Yeah. So I, I shifted to, I was a lead game designer on Gotham Knights and I shifted to a four day work week because I was taking care of her the other three days, which was a huge stress on my wife because now all the other things I did for our household. To support the, no- yeah, the normal day to day. I couldn't do. So I would take my mom to, to chemo and I would like, you know, cook for her on days and clean the house and whatever. And my sisters and my brothers would come in and do what they could. Whoever was out, out of town would give us a week or two break. They would, you know, take their vacation, yes. come in and do all like seven days for a week or two. So we like, we sorted it out to some extent. Um, the thing is, and I'm sorry if this is going to sound selfish, because like again, no, no, I'm no, focusing no, on no. my my mom. Of course, went through way worse than I could have. I, like, and me being there with her, that was the most painful thing. Everything else pales in comparison yeah. than seeing your mother go through that. Um, the thing is, the other layers, the things I didn't allow myself to acknowledge, was that I'm an extrovert. I'm an extreme extrovert. My extrovert friends call me an extra extrovert. I'm everywhere. I love meeting people. That's yeah. like a thing I love to do. It's it's well noted for anyone who's here at PAX that you love throwing a hug out yes, there. For, like, there's there's no, no shyness there whatsoever. <laughs> so my, my problem was I cut all my social life. I didn't have room for it in my life. I was working and making up. And looking after your mom. And looking after my mom. Those are the only two things. I stopped teaching, which I loved. I stopped being a coordinator. No more event planning. Everything came to a halt. And I was working because I had to work. And I was taking care of my mom because it's and my mom. to be mom. fair, I don't think anyone would blame you in the slightest. No. I think anyone listening, if they found themselves in a similar situation, would be obviously throwing the kitchen sink 
and no. being able to look after the ones they love. Absolutely not. Everybody was extremely supportive. Yeah. But for me, but what it's still I, not easy. No. And what I was missing was that I'm an extrovert who was not getting re-energized. Yeah. I was like, I was not. My batteries were just completely depleted. Depleted, and there was no way out. So thankfully, it ends with good news because my mom went into remission um, a month before COVID hit. Oh, so because that was going to be my next question, like that timing and the the nature of COVID and what it does to accessibility. Yes. So huge. It was. I was extremely grateful. I was about to ramp up again, meeting people, that, like socializing. I had like lost contact with anyone I wasn't working with, um, and then COVID hit, and that was rock bottom for me. All of a sudden, I was isolated, and I buried myself in work. Um, I would start my and work. And there's no one there to try and to stop me. Yeah, you could just keep going and going. And going. I was going and going, and the thing is, I, I'm an extreme em- uh, empath. Like I. I I feel for people a lot. So my team was going through a hard time. So I was there for them. And my family was going through a hard time. And I was there for them. And I, and I would start my workday when I used to start my commute. And I would end my workday before going to bed because there was so much to do Again, all the there time. Was no, and there was no one there to stop me. No one there to stop me. No one there to even see that I was struggling because I was there for other people. When you're there for other people, people... You're not going to talk about your own struggles. No. And I didn't. And bottled it up. That took a heavy toll on me. And my team was getting bigger and my responsibilities were getting bigger and I was failing. Like for the first time in my career, I couldn't do the one thing. Because before, like I layered multiple things on top of each other, but I always had a release. You know, even then I had burnouts, but like I was able to recover from them because I saw my friends. I did, you know, I had things that I loved. Now I couldn't. I couldn't wake up. At one point I couldn't wake up in the morning. I was it's one of those burnouts you were talking about. Yeah. Yes, I wasn't. I was angry for no reason. I would wake up angry, and there was nothing. Uh, if you'd ask me why, I didn't know. Later, I found out. Much later, when I actually went on medical leave for the burnout, I found out from my doctor that that's a normal thing. You get like basically, you can't regulate your emotions. You feel cynical. You feel angry all the time. It's so not my personality that it scared me. I actually have a tweet. From, from last year where I'm like does anyone else wake up angry at no for no reason because I was shocked I'm like give me answers what is happening what is happening yeah is this is this a pandemic thing or yes. is this a me thing yes and it ended up being a burnout thing specifically which was exasperated by the, the pandemic and all the things that yeah, happened the circumstances around yeah yeah and again I guess even coming at that particular period of your life as in the, the pandemic era still probably not fully mentally and physically recovered from everything you'd put yourself through with exactly. your mom exactly so, and I, to it. I was in my like our, our house our, 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 at the time our apartment was big enough for, our, for the family needs except I didn't have a home office I never needed one I didn't really work from home I worked everywhere else so my bedroom was my home office so it affected my sleep like I associated going there to work so I couldn't sleep at night and I'd get up to answer an email to answer yeah. a Slack message because it was just next to it's me it's right there right and it's it, the same thing a lot of people face just here yeah, with their phone yeah. leaving sitting by the bed and if that notification goes off you're, you're tempted to do it and there's so much advice now but just put it on the other side of the room the so you can't side. reach it exactly which is something I haven't been able to do myself yet but it's something I recognise I need to I'm much better at it now yeah. I, like we since then I've taken steps to, to do better like I have tried I actually I was stuck in, my, in that room for so long I wouldn't move like and before I was a, a very active person moving all the time doing yeah. things I, I was going to the gym I know it you know, it doesn't. I don't have a gym bod because I love food. I live in a foodie town. So, but I used to. I, I was healthy. I was yeah. doing all the things. All of a sudden, I was unhealthy. I never moved. 
my knees started hurting if I took more than a two-minute walk. Yeah, right. I had to go to physiotherapy for months just so I could walk again. To course correct it. Yes, I, and uh, I had to see a personal trainer because I couldn't, I didn't have the motivation to exercise on my own, which I used to do all the time. And a PT is good for dragging you there. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and she helped me tremendously. And I started feeling better in every conceivable way except for one. I couldn't find joy in, in game design. Work. I could not find joy in it. Every time I thought about it, I, the association in my head of this is what got me there, I, I couldn't. And that was terrifying. That was the worst. Believe it or not, that's the worst part. The thing I loved the most is the thing I didn't love anymore. And yeah, that, you compound that with the fact that, I mean, I guess as we stand again, we're a day away from the launch as of when this goes live, but you left in the early, very early 2022. Yes. Like at this point, the, the clock's ticking. You can see where, did you have an indication as to what the date or win, you know, rough window was going to be at that stage? I like, don't remember specifically if it was public, but we knew when the yeah, game was going to come out. So and you can you know, see that clock is ticking and yes. you know, like, and I'm not where I need to be to be able to feel what I need to be. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that you you nailed it. That's pretty much it. And I couldn't project that I was going to get better by that time. Yeah. So my two of my friends, Tally and Charlotte, who work at Unity, reached out and they said, "Look, we you, we know you could do this job. If you want to have a break, you have a job for as long as you want it. Two weeks, two months, two years, twenty. Yeah. Just come work with us. Do what you need to do. Yeah. Yes. And then whenever you're ready, you can leave. And they lived up to the promise. And I had an incredible work-life balance and an incredibly supportive team and recharged. Yes. And I loved the partners that I was working with. I was senior partner relation manager. They were other people like me making their games. I understood their struggles. I cared for them. And through them, I, it reignited my love for game design. Yeah. All of a sudden, I wanted to be on the other side again. Slowly, a little bit at a time. And yeah, these things take time, especially yes. given essentially a form of trauma that you'd kind of put yourself through. Absolutely. Or had gone through. Uh, not, yeah. not all of it put yourself through. I, I put myself through a it. Collection in, of experience. At least in part. Yes. Yeah. At least in part, a lot of... My burnouts were, were my fault. I mean, I have to own up to yeah, them. To a degree. To a degree. To yeah. a degree. You have to acknowledge that uh, I put myself in a, an uh, untenable situation. Yep. And of course, there are consequences to that. And I'm going to try my best not to have a fourth burnout ever. Fingers crossed for you. <laughs> Thank you. Touching I appreciate wood. that. Now, I don't know if this is yes. wood. <laughs> and I'm really excited. I know uh, this is a tease. I apologize. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm really excited for the next thing I'm about to start. No, please. You can just spill the beans. And if not, just as soon as we get off camera, Mikey, you can tell me everything about it. <laughs> we'll do that. All right. How about that? Looking forward to it. Oh, no. This is recorded. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, after. Sorry, everyone. No. Oh, no. Oh, we've got ourselves in a problem here. Um, so, obviously, it was, it was easy for you to make that jump to Unity, but yes. was it easy to still say goodbye to ev everyone? And again, I guess it, even that context of knowing where the game was at. It was not gone easy into it. Yeah. to make the jump to Unity. I actually got offered that job in August, and I turned it down. And right. I called them back in December, and I had a change of heart. Please take me back. Yes. I was like, is that position still open? And they're like, we'll open it for you. Because uh, I, like, my identity was one of a game designer. And I could not let that go. It was incredibly difficult. I, I was worried I would leave, never heal, and that was the end of my career. Your career was over. Yes, and I could not shake it until things kept getting worse. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to try something. Even if this is not where I'm landing, even if I jump again a couple of months later, I have to do something. I can't, I'm, I'm projecting, it's not getting better. Uh, and I did that pe terrified, petrified. And I put up airs, you know, uh, I trusted my friends, by the way, completely. Yeah. I knew that they would live up to their side of the promise. I didn't know if it was enough for what I needed. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, and of course, leaving like that answers the other question at the same time. Leaving that world behind, leaving my team, leaving the responsibilities. To be honest, I wasn't living up to, to my role for months at that point. I was yeah. already. I took medical leave. I came back. I was never the same. Mostly, what I did was administration roles, like approving schedules and assigning uh, Jiras yeah. and tasks. Uh, any creative work was less hands-on. Yeah. Yes, I couldn't do that anyway. So I was already failing. They were extremely kind and very supportive and everybody like gave me what I needed to to get. Like all my team, like the people who yes. answered to me, they gave me the, the support and uh, everything I needed. But I wasn't there for them. They needed someone to be there for them. So actually it was another friend who, when I said I can't leave and I turned down the unity thing, who smacked some sense into me and said, you're not helping them. You're, help you're, you're being selfish. You have to go take care of yourself. That's how you... That's how you be the best team member. Exactly. Yeah. So they, like, she basically uh, talked me into it. She was absolutely right. And that's when I called back Unity and I'm like, I, I made a mistake. I'm glad it all worked out. That Thank sense. you. I appreciate it. And now it, it is a tricky period, like, because the game is so close. Yes. You're not in the trenches currently on it, but how, like, I'm sure you're watching from afar and keeping a close eye. And I guess, how are you feeling as we sit here? Currently two weeks away, time flat circle, all that. So, I, like, I, of course, I can't talk about specifics. I'm of still course. under NDA, like from from when I worked on it. Uh, but I can talk about my feelings, and yeah. uh, I'm super, super happy for the team who stuck with it, who are working on it. It looks like the game is. It looks like it's coming out. You know, that's a thing that's always. Whenever a game is in production during a pandemic, there's always a worry that there's more delays. There's What's more, going to happen? Will this fall apart? Yeah, like already making a game is hard mode, and every game is a miracle. Making a game during a pandemic, that's the Dark Souls yeah. mode of making games. <laughs> it is not easy, and I'm sure you you interview a lot of devs. I'm sure yeah. they tell you the yeah, same. Yeah, spoken to a lot of people over yeah. the last few years that have said very similar sort of yeah. things. I don't think the Dark Souls comparison's been drawn, but I might have to bring that to the conversation going forward. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. So it is, it is very hard. I'm super proud of them uh, for, for doing it. Um, and I can't wait to play it because at this point, I'm so far removed from the game. There's I don't a know. lot that can change in yeah. that time, despite it, it being a small amount of time in relation to the amount of time yes. you're on it. Yeah, I was on it for yeah, four and a half a, years. Nine months is still a lot, it, yeah. especially near the end. So I'm actually curious to see how it evolved and changed and improved and how it came together. Because a lot of working on a AAA game, it's not unique to, to, to Gotham Knights. It's no, all it's, games. It's, all. it's uh, like I mentioned before, people working in isolation. But then on it all feature. fades back into one machine. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's some work to do to make it fit. Because, you know, you have this system was created with the intention of fitting with this system. But like Lego blocks, until you actually fit them together, you don't know what the end result is going to yeah. look like and you have to adjust. So there were a lot of things like that that I'm curious to see how they worked out, right? That's going to be awesome. And yeah, I, I too am really, really excited to try the game out when tomorrow comes. I, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, time travel is yeah, weird, folks. Yeah, we're in the past now. It's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, again, we, we all know about what you're working on next and yeah. or what, who you're working with next. And that's going to be really exciting as well. But we can't talk. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. We'll um, talk off the record. Exactly. Off the air. <laughs> We've got just a little while to go. And so as we start to wrap things up, um, a few top-level questions, a few things I guess really focusing on you as opposed to the work. Um, is there anyone out there that you've worked with or that you look at from afar that really inspires you in the way you go about what you're trying to achieve on the day-to-day? -day? Absolutely. There are a lot of people. It's really hard to narrow it down to just one. Yeah, sorry, um, I do this to everyone. They, try, okay. they, they get yeah, blown can, away by choice. Of course, it's too many. So I'll just say the first few names that came to mind and you tell me when I've said enough because oh, I can go on You could go. We've Forever. Got, we've got 10 minutes. You can use all 10 <laughs> minutes if you like. So the, the first is uh, the, that came to mind is uh, my friend Anne LeMay, who was a narrative director on Gotham Knights at, um, at Warner Brothers. 
And even though she wasn't my lead, she was the narrative director, um, I identified her as someone with the leadership qualities that I wanted. Yep. So I asked her if I could have one-on-ones with her so I could learn. Just to learn. Yeah, I wanted to be, like she's the kind of lead I wanted to be. And she obliged and we had regular talks and like I leveled up a lot because of her. Um, Amy. Yes, she's absolutely amazing. She And she's like, a legend in our industry she wrote the the narrative design tool, toolkit like she's one of the authors of the narrative like that's that's how they teach other people how to to, to be narrative designers and you had this luxury to work alongside her and pick her brain exactly she worked on mass effects like two three andromeda i don't know like uh, as, as a writer she yeah. she started her career like 20 something years ago legend in our industry touched a lot of things wealth of knowledge and the humility to just say yes to anyone who asked her for help ever i've never seen anything like it incredible leader who modeled incredible leadership behavior um, so yeah that's that's the first person i'll mention fantastic choice thank you um, the second person i'll mention is my good friend zalavir he's an indie developer uh, for uh, uh, who has his own studio called strange scaffolding yep and i love how he's gonna disrupt our industry he makes games small tiny really creative incredible experiences that are um, not what you normally see in the market and he does them in a way that's healthy so he doesn't burn out his team yep. um, they constantly have four five six ten games running at a time with small pods of, of people who are helping each other i've never seen anything like it it's like um he questioned how games are made from the ver- their very foundation and said i could do better and he's building something that's going to take the in my opinion it's going to take the industry by storm other people are going to follow his example there's some really fantastic choices. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah, certainly look to see, looking forward to seeing this game that takes everyone by storm. Hopefully it does the same for all of us here. <laughs> Have there been any particularly valuable, valuable lessons that you've picked up along the way? Anything that's really stuck with you? And what? I'd imagine, given even some of the nature of our conversation today, I think there's probably a few obvious ones. Yes. If people <laughs> haven't gotten onto it already, they will so now. But. So yeah, the, we'll get to the obvious ones first, I guess, is health first. Nothing else is worth it. Like. I've uh, accomplished a lot of my career and I'm grateful for it, but a lot of it came at a, a cost and the cost was not worth it. I, would yep. have, I should have actually said no to more things, done less, done that better and had better health as a result. Um, so that's number one. Number two is be good to people, all people, not just people who could be good to you back in return. Um, that's the most important thing. If you're going to do anything else, if you're going to take do any, good. just do good. Be good to anyone. Doesn't Don't like... In a conference uh, setting, because we're in a conference setting, um, in, in GCAP, don't look at a person's name tag to see what role they have before you decide how much time you're going to commit to that conversation. Don't do that. Everyone's a human being. Everybody's a different part of their journey, and everyone deserves your love, your attention, Absolutely. your support. A thousand percent. So take that across all disciplines. All It doesn't matter where you work. Be good to everyone. It doesn't matter about work either. Just yes. Someone you see down the street. A hundred and ten percent. That's a fantastic piece of advice for anyone. And again, regardless of where they work or what they do. Yes. Some lighter ones as we wrap things up. If there is any game that you could be credited for in any capacity, like you could just add your name into the credits and say, I worked on that. Is there a game out there you just love to have worked on? That is a very interesting prompt. Like like I said, the lighter ones at this point. So we yes. have a bit of fun with it. So is there a game that you just wish, oh, gee, I wish I could have gotten involved in that yes uh, actually there are many 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 I'm trying to narrow it down to my head but I'll, I'll just say the first game that came to mind is Hades oh yeah uh, of course. I thought like what they did with marrying like narrative design with like narrative systems specifically with the roguelike genre in ways that 
when any designer saw it said that is so obvious how did i not think of this but they were the first to come up with it. To do it exactly it was brilliant 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 and i really wish that i was involved in that <laughs> process or at least been on the sideline to witness it uh, i mean you obviously mentioned there's a few other games yes quick shout outs are there any others that you just wish similar sort of yeah absolutely so the street fighter series oh, is a, a series that's super dear to my heart uh, incredibly elegant. You have two characters on the screen and so much magic can ha- happen. So I would say actually any 2.5D fighting game, specifically Street Fighter would stand up, but I would love, like if I had a magic wand now and the ability to work on a fighting on, on a fighting game, I would choose Move that over that. Yeah, exactly. I believe it's even playable here at PAX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weekend, That's so. the only one game I'm going to wait in line to play. Everything else, I'm, nice. you know, if I see a line, I usually move on. Sorry. But this is one that you'll move yourself out of the line for. Absolutely. Good choice. Thank you. Uh, if you could go back and replay any game, strike it from your memory, get to re-experience it from scratch. Yes. Also there many answers, but there is one that's top of that list, and it's The Outer Wilds. Oh, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Uh, that game did things to me. It's When I was talking about favorite games, and I would split them into three categories, yep. the third category, the since I was a game developer category, that's The Outer that Wilds. Fits. 100% number one on that list. Uh, the reward of that game is knowledge, and I've never felt more rewarded by playing a game than playing that. And the problem is I cannot say a single thing about it without spoiling, spoiling it. But it's it is sort of fantastic. Like there was also uh, the uh, Return of the Obra Dinn that was in a similar category. Yep. I would, you know, play that for the first time. There, there are many, of course. Oh, all my sure. favorites. Yeah, right? I'm sure. I mean, we could rewind some of those ones from that early year and it'd yes. be a fascinating, I think, exercise in going back and seeing what those games were actually like. So, Absolutely. With, with the present-day lens applied across it. So, again, a series of fantastic choices there. Thank you. Asama, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. Uh, as I mentioned before, people will now know timelines, all that sort of thing being a bit messy, but will know what this next chapter is. And I think I can speak for everyone now in this pre-announcement era and say we're incredibly excited to see what comes next and, and what game design work you're going to be getting up to so thank you so much for coming on the show sharing thank you for having so me I had a great time talking to you if you ever want to talk to me again just hit me up yeah we'll absolutely make sure it works and uh, for anyone who wants to see what you're up to on the more day to day sort of level be there when that announcement happens where should they be going so I'm more active on Twitter than anything else so that's at Osama Doris one word that's it yeah. that Twitter. so you can just find me there so please make sure to do that again thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you so much. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been a summer story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.